This episode is sponsored by Sweet Life Nutritionals. If you're looking for the absolute best supplements created by yours truly, Dr. Brian Mole, our products contain the highest quality ingredients and the formulas are evidence-based and backed by science for blood sugar, metabolism, gut support, adrenal health, and detoxification. Visit SweetLifeNutritionals.com and use the coupon code PODCAST to save 10% off your first order. Hey, and welcome to the new Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brian Mole, and each and every week I bring you cutting edge information, transformational stories, and exclusive interviews with the leading experts in the area of blood sugar, diabetes, and metabolism. My goal is to cut through the confusion by making complex concepts simple and to give you practical strategies to improve your blood sugar and optimize your metabolic health. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this next episode of the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. All right, great. So I'm here with Dr. Amy McKenzie. Amy's a research scientist and is doing a lot of great work with Verda Health in associated with Indiana University. Released some great papers. And Amy, I get to see one of your presentations down in Orlando at the ADA Scientific Sessions where you presented on prediabetes. So would love to talk about that today a little bit and really get into everything that you guys are up to out there. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun and hard work for the last couple of years. So let's talk about Verta Health. For people who aren't familiar with it and the model that you guys are using to help people with diabetes and prediabetes and blood sugar problems, can you kind of describe what you're doing? Sure. At Verta Health, we're an online specialty medical clinic is how I would describe it. And we specifically focus on patients with type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, prediabetes as our patients that we care for. And okay. so what we do is with our treatment approach, because all, of these, because all of these conditions have sort of the underlying principle of insulin resistance, we're using one part of our protocol is a ketogenic diet or nutritional ketosis to help treat some of those underlying conditions. And then we're pairing kind of that medical nutrition and the nutritional biochemistry behind that with technology-enabled continuous remote care that allow us to be in contact with our patients all the time, giving them the feedback they need, the support they need, and then also giving our clinicians all of the data that they need to successfully and carefully manage all of our patients. That's great. So you use a, use a ketogenic nutritional ketosis style diet, ultra low carb mm -hmm. diet. And there's app-based interaction where people can log their data and share that with your team, your clinical team. And then you have physicians and health coaches who interact with the patients to help them to kind of continue their journey and improve their outcomes. Yeah, definitely. So everyone gets access to our Verda Health app and we give them a starter kit that gives them all of the supplies that they need, ranging from testing blood glucose to blood ketones to sometimes a food scale to help them understand portion sizes, especially when it comes to protein, because monitoring protein is important when it comes to nutritional ketosis. 
blood pressure cuffs, anything that they need to be successful, we'll provide them with. And then they log into the app, log all of those biomarkers, and then our clinical team can monitor all of that remotely. So every day we're watching all of those biomarkers come in, and then we're working with the patients to give them feedback on how they're doing, adjust what they're doing so that we can manage what they're eating, get them to the right place when it comes to blood sugar. And then the physicians are also carefully monitoring to manage medications when it comes to that as well. Yeah, that sounds great. And so one of the things that uh, you've been able to do, Vert has been able to do, is help people reduce medications with improving lifestyle and improving diet through a ketogenic diet. And your physicians, Dr. Hallberg, who I know pretty well, and there's others there, have been able to help people cut down on insulin significantly, cut down on many oral medications, and really reverse type 2 diabetes to a large degree. And there's papers that you guys have published showing that, which is really exciting. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the most recent one that came out on the diabetes outcomes of our patients was our one-year outcome. So one year into the clinical trial for patients with type 2 diabetes, when it comes to medications, you mentioned insulin. And for 94% of the people who started the trial on insulin, they were either able to eliminate or reduce their insulin dose. And I think for the people who were left, for the people who were still taking insulin that one year, the dose was cut almost in half. So even for the people who can't quite get off of insulin by following this lifestyle and eating this way, they're still making a significant improvement in the amount of insulin that they require. Wow, that's amazing. 94% either reduced or eliminated insulin. And, and you know, we've seen that clinically as well with our clients using a fairly similar model, but it's great to see this published. And, you know, I think it's getting a lot of exposure because uh, you're taking the steps to really do careful clinical trials and publish this data, which is fantastic. What are some of the other outcomes that you're seeing, you know, in, in the at the one-year mark with some of these patients in addition to reduced insulin use? I know you've seen some reductions in other oral medications. What are some of the other outcomes you're seeing? Yeah. So, so fonureas were also, I think they were completely eliminated in the trial. SGLT2s were significantly reduced. And then when it comes to, you know, looking at the impact on all medications overall, we get to kind of the statistic about what we call diabetes reversal. And what we mean by that is patients who are able, who come to us with type 2 diabetes, they're able to get their A1C under 6.5, and they can do that by either taking no medications or taking only metformin, since ADA came out with their last set of standards that said that they recommended metformin also for the pre-diabetes range of A1Cs and then also for its use in other conditions like PCOS. So for patients that are able to get their A1C under that threshold for diabetes diagnosis and take either no meds or metformin only, 60% of our patients with type 2 diabetes that were sticking with us through that year were able to do that. So that is what's coming from all of the other medications reductions that we saw too. And I think 25% were able to do it with no meds. So 25% are hitting that you know, partial remission definition where A1C is under 6.5, they aren't taking any medications at all. And if they sustain that for a full year, they'll hit that either partial or full remission kind of tag and category. Why the focus on reducing medications? You know, I, I think, I mean, I can think of some reasons, but 
you know, I think in conventional diabetes care, you know, medications are just viewed as one of the helpful tools to help people get their blood sugar levels down. You've taken this extra step of saying, let's get the blood sugar down and see if we can reduce dependency on medications. Why did you guys decide to take that approach? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that come with medications. And I think it comes from a a difference in the paradigm and kind of where we're starting from a thinking point. In using medications to manage diabetes, that's what it is. It's to manage it. It's, you know, you go to the doctor says you have type 2 diabetes. This is a progressive condition. You're going to have this for the rest of your life. We're going to, you know, ask you to make these lifestyle changes and put you on this medicine. And then as your A1C starts to creep up, we're going to add another one and another one so that we can manage your disease as it progresses over time. And I think we take a different viewpoint where we say, what if we don't have to manage it? What if we can regress your glucose back to normal. You know, in the DP from the Diabetes Prevention Program, they spent a lot of time looking at regression to normal glucose and getting people back to sort of normal function when it turns when it comes to blood glucose. And we're kind of taking that same viewpoint where we're saying if we can get you to normal glucose and you don't need a medication to do it, that has a lot of benefit. One is cost. Medications are costly over time. People who take insulin will tell you all the time about how much their insulin costs. The other, besides just a monetary cost, is the the burden that comes with it from a health standpoint. So people who are on insulin tend to gain weight and they don't want to gain weight because the doctor's telling you at the same time that you need to lose weight. So it's not only the economic cost side of it, but it's also the health outcomes that people are searching for where they're really looking for a mechanism by which they can take better care of their diabetes and not you know, take a medication that's causing additional problems for them. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, you think about the cost of the patient, but then you also think about the cost of the healthcare system, it's astronomical. You know, you look at yeah. some of these newer drugs and there's new drugs, you know, in the pipeline, certainly that are going to be, you know, in the 500 to $1,000 a month range, probably for insurance companies. And of course, that falls back on health insurance costs. And, you know, the the costs have to be absorbed somewhere. So anything we can do to reduce need for medication use, I think it's well worth it. I think also most people that I talk to, most patients or clients that I talk to really don't want to have to take medications or want to you know, don't want to be dependent on two, three, four different medications to control their blood sugar. So I think there's a lot of reasons to want to move in that direction. And uh, I think one of the reasons why conventional care doesn't is because there just aren't any tools, as you said, to to really regress blood sugar back to normal, especially for someone with type 2 diabetes, whereas the model that you're teaching has shown to do that. So there is hope to reduce and possibly even eliminate medications. Very exciting. Very exciting. It certainly takes a lot of resources. I'm sure you know when you're managing a patient, especially ones that are on medications like like insulin or sulfonylureas, it takes a lot of interaction with the patient and it takes a lot of work to make sure that you're reducing their blood sugar and their medications cohesively together to keep them safe. So uh, there's a lot of people that I hear that are supportive of this and they would love to be able to do it. And they just say, I don't know how to implement this at my clinic. I don't know how to, I don't have the resources to do this. So I think, you know, putting all this together in one package is just, it's just one more tool in the toolbox for the patients that want to pursue something like this. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I love how you, how your team has organized the clinical care model. You know, I've been 
talking about this for 15 or more years that, you know, our current healthcare system is just ill-equipped to take care of people with diabetes or any chronic health condition for that matter. It's really designed more for acute care and we just don't have the continuity of care in conventional medicine to be able to walk through a diabetes experience or reversal program with people. So you guys have really completely turned everything upside down and built a new model, which does provide that continuity in the form of app-based biomonitoring and health coaching where you're checking in with people on a regular basis. And I think that's that's what I try to provide as well. And I think that's really where the magic happens for people with diabetes or again, I think any chronic lifestyle condition because we need to have a relationship with them. It can't just be it can't just be come in and see me four times a year for ten or fifteen minutes. That's just not going to do the trick. Yeah, there's tons of research on accountability and whether it is to the person themselves, how they their self-accountability and how much they desire to change, or also accountability to others. And when you put them in the in that relationship where they have a health coach, they have a physician, they know that they're also monitoring their blood markers every day. It puts them into a different mindset where they're like, okay, I said that I wanted to do this. These are my goals. I have these people to support me. And then the other part is their peers too. So aside from just connecting with the clinicians who are helping them, we're also connecting peers to each other so that we can put patients together that are all going through this so that they can provide each other with the social support to say, you know, I'm having a really hard time with this. What do you guys do when this happens to you? And then it's not just you alone and it's not just your doctor telling you what to do. It's more of a team environment where everybody's working together to reach that goal. Yeah, I love that. That's perfect. So we were talking about outcomes. One of the things that people are interested in is weight loss. And I'm curious as to the connection that you've seen with weight and type 2 diabetes reversal. Do you see weight loss as a necessary component of that? And is that something that you saw in your trials? Yeah, we haven't looked at at that question specifically yet. There's a lot of research on this though. And the research, ours and everyone else's, when they're looking at improvement of type 2 diabetes and weight loss, there's always an association between amount of weight that's lost, the amount of weight that is weight loss that is maintained in terms of if you lose weight and you can maintain that loss for a long period of time, and then diabetes remission. We see it in the bariatric surgery literature. We saw it in the direct trial, they've done a lot of analyses on this more recently, where they used a three to five month very low carb or very low calorie diet, which was probably also very low carbohydrate and very similar. And all of the research that's been done on this shows a lot of associations between weight loss and achievement of diabetes reversal. And we haven't done it on our data specifically, but from what I've seen in clinical practice, if for the patients that lose a clinically significant amount of weight, they're losing more than 5% or more than 7%. They generally tend to be the more successful people in terms of maintaining lower blood glucoses. But there are definitely a handful of people who don't necessarily hit that mark, haven't lost that amount of weight. And we've seen success in terms of A1C. I can think of more than a handful of people in the clinical trial that weren't able to lose weight, especially by our kind of clinical significant standards of 5% 5 or 7%, but they had success in terms of A1C. 
And what we did is we brought those people in. We did a follow-up study. We brought in 10 people who weren't able to lose weight and weren't necessarily able to achieve nutritional ketosis, but were still seeing success in terms of blood glucose. And we monitored them for a few days. We controlled what they were eating. Um, and we did metabolic heart measurements on them to try to see what was going on. And we worked a lot with them on food diaries and what they were eating and how much they were eating to kind of work through that. So that'll be another paper that's coming out from us in the near future. Hey, it's Dr. Brian Mole. I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to this episode of the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. If you're enjoying the show and you want to support the creation of this content, then consider making a small contribution by buying me a coffee. To show your support for the show, just go to buymeacoffee.com slash Dr. Mole and you can buy me a cup of coffee or two there as a way of saying thanks for putting out this content and bringing you some of the leading experts in the field of blood sugar and metabolic health. Thanks for your support, and let's get back to the show. Wow, exciting. In your pre-diabetes work, I'm curious as to what you tracked. In the DP trial and the DPP program or the DP, the diabetes prevention program, they focus on weight and exercise. And those are really the two parameters. It's really not about blood sugar. That's kind of looked at as, a, as some secondary that's going to happen if you lose weight and exercise, I guess. When you did your analysis, what did you focus on? So in terms of the trial... The methods and kind of how we and how we work with patients every day is that we use beta hydroxybutyrate. So we use ketones in the blood to give us some feedback on how you're doing. So generally, we're saying, uh, at least when we start out, reduce your carbohydrates. Usually, for most people, it's less than 30 grams per day of total carbs. And you know, hit. We give them a protein target. Say, try to get your protein within this range every day. And we also, in terms of fat, we say eat to satiety. Eat until you feel satiated. And use that as kind of your added tool to help keep you satisfied because we all know that when people feel hungry, they don't want to do what they're doing anymore. So that's kind of the general instructions that we give. And then we use the beta-hydroxybutyrate as a feedback tool. So patients are measuring it every day. The health coach is seeing it. The physician is seeing it. And then we can work with them one-on-one to adjust what they're eating to try to get them into kind of the nutritional ketosis range. We were asking people to get to just 0.5 millimolar. Um, of beta-hydroxybutyrate in the blood. And that's what we were focusing on in terms of, you know, getting people to do this. And I think the weight loss happens by accident. It's sort of a positive side effect that comes with it. Right, right. That makes sense. What was the rationale for using a ketogenic diet as opposed to just a very low-carbohydrate diet that maybe didn't show you know, that higher level of ketones in the blood. Is it the idea of being able to monitor ketones or is there something special about nutritional ketosis that has some advantages in reversing type 2 diabetes or prediabetes or blood sugar control? Yeah, I think we're going to see that in research over the next couple of years. There's a lot of interesting research that's coming out on what ketones do and how ketones act as a signaling molecule. And there's a lot of really interesting work that's coming out around fighting inflammation, reducing inflammation, reducing oxidative stress, and ketones being kind of the modulator of that when it's present in circulation. And then there was another paper in cell metabolism 
a couple of months ago now in terms of liver fat and the presence of ketones and how quickly when ketones are present in the blood, liver fat content changes. So I think the research is very early, but there's a lot of promising studies, especially in the basic science literature, that's saying that ketones are acting as a signaling molecule and it's doing a lot more than just helping patients lose weight and get control of their blood sugars. So there's the potential for reduced oxidative stress, there's potential for reduced inflammation, and we, on a whole, we see that in our patient population too, with CRP coming down drastically from baseline to one year in our patients. So I think there's a lot of promise in terms of um, what we're going to learn about ketones as a signaling molecule and what other benefits it might have for people. Interesting. Do you think there's any benefit to using exogenous ketones or do you think that the benefit comes from slashing the carbohydrates down to the point where your body naturally moves into ketosis? I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the cost of drugs and reducing the cost of medications. I think you can produce ketones for a lot less money than you can buy ketones. So I think that's one consideration. And I think it depends on what you're using it for. If there's a lot of research that's on exogenous ketones and exercise performance or cognitive performance, but I think when it comes to diabetes and getting control of your blood sugar, there's evidence that you can do it without the supplements as well. So I think it depends on what your goal is and what you're after. But if your goal is to reduce your blood sugar and to lose weight, it's certainly possible to do it without exogenous ketones. But there are certain reasons why you might want to consider exogenous ketones as well. Okay, great. What are some of the challenges that you guys found with using a ketogenic diet? I mean, I know I hear from people that they find that it can be difficult to to keep their carbs down low enough and to monitor their macros closely enough to where they stay in nutritional ketosis. Did you find that to be a barrier for people? And if so, how did you overcome that? That's, I think the monitoring macros is a big challenge for a lot of people. And we've kind of taken a different approach to that where we, we make it more of a lifestyle and we give more very practical guidance. You know, I mentioned we tell people to get their carbs under 30 grams per day and we give them a protein target, but we do it more. So we work with people to kind of understand what their eating habits and eating patterns are. And then we kind of break it down for them in terms of, okay, at breakfast, look for having, you know, a serving or two of vegetables that are non-starchy and pair that with three to four ounces of protein and add fat to help you be satisfied until the next time that you're going to eat. We turn the counting macros into a much more practical everyday thing that you can do without constantly tracking and putting something into an app and you know saying, okay, I'm at 20 of my 30 and it's you know 11 a.m. So we've kind of turned that around and tried to manage it because we know that's a challenge for a lot of people. And we've just tried to make it much more practical. And a lot of patients have had success with it. But that's not to say that we never have to track Certainly when troubleshooting and trying to figure out how to make something better for someone, there are certain times that tracking is very important and very helpful. But we've tried to tackle that problem because we know it's a big burden for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. I'd love to ask you about the health coaching too, because this is an area that I think has great potential for benefit with people with diabetes. As I was talking about earlier, I think that continuity of care is really important and it's going to be really hard to rely on a physician to 
be checking in with their patients daily when they're trying to manage, you know, potentially hundreds of patients. But I love the idea of having a health coach who's there to sort of be that go-between. How do your health coaches function? You know, what, I guess, you know, what do they do for the patients or clients and how does that work? What are some of the benefits you see with that? Sure. I think we talked about this already a little bit, but one is accountability, is that you have someone who's there and looking after you. And the other side of that is, is that it's not just someone that's, you know, being big brother and watching all of your blood values. It's somebody who's there to support you. And it's a team effort to say, okay, what's your goal? And our health coaches work with patients kind of on, on iterations of goals. And it might be a goal for the next three days or five days or seven days, or it might be a goal that you set for the next two months. But the health coach is there to work with you to figure out what's your goal, what do you want to achieve, and then to give you all the support and resources that you need to do that. So our health coaches are working with patients on setting goals, giving them the resources that they need to do that, answering questions, especially when you're first getting started and you're like, can I eat this? Can I not eat this? What is this going to do to my blood sugar? And you have all of these questions about you know, what works and what doesn't and how did other people manage this? Uh, it's nice to have a health coach there that you can just message off the cuff when you're at the grocery store and this question pops into your head or you're out to dinner and you have a question about what's on the menu. Having somebody who's kind of there to be your support system and is dedicated to you is definitely, I think, a huge factor in people being successful. Yeah, I mean, I can see how that would be incredibly valuable for people. And and again, it just, it opens that door because a lot of people also feel maybe a little bit uncomfortable reaching out to their doctor, reaching out to the staff mm-hmm. with questions like that. They're at the grocery store and they want to have a quick question about something. But but the health coach, I think, can be a lot more accessible and and be just a great tool to provide that support and accountability for people. So that's fantastic. Sure. What do you guys have on the horizon? I know that you have ongoing research there and you've published quite a bit already, but you have a lot more in the pipeline. So what's what are you working on now? Yeah. So the original trial that we set up at Indiana University Health was scheduled to be two years in length. And last year, we went back to the IRB and we asked if we could extend it to five years and they approved that. So this trial is now extended out to five years. So we're going to be following the patients who are under our care for even longer. So right now we're working on our two-year outcomes. We started in, geez, August 2015 with the trial and enrolled the last participant, I think, in March 2016. Excuse me. So they all hit their two-year mark and we're working on two-year outcomes for patients with type 2 diabetes. And then you saw the ADA presentation on one-year outcomes for patients with prediabetes, but I'm also working on a paper on their two-year outcomes to look at progression to type 2 or regression to normal glycemia at two years for the prediabetes patients. So two-year outcomes are coming. And we also have some of our secondary analyses from one year. We'd already published the cardiovascular outcomes, but we're also working on liver outcomes, patient-reported sleep quality. Yeah, lots of that is coming. And then outside of the trial, we've been taking on you know patients outside of the trial with IUH, and we've established a patient registry. So what we're trying to do with that is invite any patient who comes to Verda to volunteer to give us their clinical data to use for research purposes. And we're trying to understand more about the chronic conditions that we treat and the interventions that we use for those so that we can iterate on our care and ultimately improve our patient outcomes over time. 
So that is coming as well. Very cool. All right. All that is very exciting. So it, with the Verta Health program, where do people come from? How do people find you guys? Is it mostly employer-driven programs where you have agreements with certain employers? Is there, you know, are there insurance companies that pay for that? Or is it mostly people finding you online and paying out of pocket for the program? How's that work? Yeah, we have a couple of different ways that patients can find us. Probably most patients come through their employer where they've brought us on as a covered benefit for their patients. So they provide Verda for either no cost or a very low copay to their patients and their to the, yeah to their patients to their, right, to their employees. employees employees and their dependents. So most people come in through that route, and then we also have a direct patient model. So you can also just. If it's not offered by your employer or your health plan, you can go to vertahealth.com, sign up, pay for it out of pocket or through like a health savings account. Okay. And then, um, but that being said, if you want Verta and your employer doesn't offer it, we can work with you to try to get your employer to offer it as well. So you can reach out to us through a number of ways and then we'll try to get you with the best option that we can. All right. Excellent. Well, this has been amazing. And I always like to end with three questions, which I'll ask you here in just a minute. But before I do that, if people want to learn more about the Verta Health program or maybe some of the research that you're doing, see some of the clinical trials that you've published, what are the best ways for them to find out more? Yeah, that would be our website. You can go to vertahealth.com and there's a page that's specifically aimed for patients. There's a page that's geared towards physicians and we also have a research page as well. So vertahealth.com slash research and that has all of our clinical trial, all of our papers, all of our publications and all of our ongoing research as well. All right, perfect. Okay, Amy, so uh, three questions I have here for you. The first one is kind of about your work and the impact you're trying to have on the world. And it's if there was a quote or a statement or a phrase or an idea that you think best summarized, you know, the impact that you want to have on the world, what you're trying to, what you're trying to do, the mark you're trying to leave, what would that be? I don't know that I have a I don't know that I have a phrase or a quote but I know that I want to make a difference for people to be around the ones that they love for as long as possible and to enjoy the time that they have with the ones that they love and I think diabetes is not an isolated condition meaning it doesn't only affect the person that has it it also affects their families and their loved ones so I think this is the perfect way for me to be able to help people be with the people that they love uh, for as long as they can. Yeah, well said. And I think that's what uh, that's what most people want. I think you start a program like mine or like the one that you offered, Verda, is that they really want to be there for their family. They want to have quality of life and enjoy the years mm-hmm. that they have. And they see how diabetes can interfere with that. And I think from what I hear from people, that is a, that's a really strong motivating factor. So beautiful. Very much. The second question is, if you had a friend or family member who was recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, and perhaps it was a surprise diagnosis, they didn't see it coming, they found out and they came and spoke to you and asked you for some advice in just a couple minutes, what would you tell them to do? Oh, I would say... 
learn about your options. Know, learn about what each of the options are. So they're going, I'm sure that their doctors already told them, you know, you should do X, Y, and Z. I would say, take some time, do some research, find out what all of the different options are and what the, what happens with those options over time and talk to people that have done each of those. And then make a decision that you think is right for you and that is sustainable for you. So choose the option that you think is going to help you achieve the goals that you want and choose the option that you think you can stick with for a long time. Perfect. And lastly, if you found yourself in a room with 20 world leaders, prime ministers and presidents from various countries around a board table, and they brought you in as an expert to help them solve the diabetes and obesity epidemic that we have going worldwide, what advice would you give them? I think I would say we need to take a really close look at the evidence that's available from the research that's there now, see what interventions are working and which ones aren't working as well, and take the top ones and make it available to everyone at no cost. Take the interventions that work and just make it available. I don't know where to find the money to do that, but I would say take a good hard look at the evidence and make it freely available to the people who need it make it as accessible as possible so we Mm -hmm. can make a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Dr. Amy McKenzie, thank you so much for your time today and for being on the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. Thank you for having me. And for you, for all of you who are watching today, thanks for subscribing and listening to the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. This is Dr. Brian Mole, the diabetes coach, and I'll be back next week with another expert interview. All right. Thanks again for joining the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. Hey, if you haven't already, please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts. If you want more helpful information, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dr. Brian Mole. And make sure you follow me on Instagram at Dr. Mole. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or family member who could really benefit. And I'd love if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes or Google Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. This is Dr. Brian Mole, and I'll see you back on the next episode of Mastering Blood Sugar. Mastering Blood Sugar.